Well, good morning. How are you guys? Is it a good morning? I mean, spring forward, daylight savings time. It's not a good morning. Then <laughs> Patty, Patty's holier than I am. I, she was thanking God for the time change. I thought to myself, I was not thanking God for the time change this morning. I, Last night, when I thought I was finished with my stuff early, I was like, all right, this is amazing. I realized, oh, wait, no, it's an hour later, and I'm now behind. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm glad you guys made it this morning. My name's Nick. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I had somebody say, you know, every now and then you could say you're the lead pastor, too. I am the lead pastor, in case you were wondering, uh, but I'm sure most of you are aware. Um, we are going to be in Luke's Gospel this morning. Um, you can you can turn there if 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 you need Bibles, just go ahead, and raise your hand. Um, and as is the usual drill, um, if you don't have one, keep it. If you want to give it away, keep it. Um, we're into distributing the Word of God here in this church. You love that in the Book of Acts, you know, where it says that um, as kind of the church is growing, says, then the word increased. <laughs> the word grew. The word was was spreading out. Uh, and so we, we love that. If you want to give away a Bible, feel, feel free uh, to keep that one and hand it out. Um, Luke chapter 2, so Matthew, Mark, Luke in your New Testament. And then chapter 1, then chapter 2. And we're going to be in verse verses 8 through 20, what we're going to read here. I'm just going to get us get us right in, um, Jerry. Thank you for for leading us well this morning and, and uh, the worship team. That was awesome, really. Uh, I'm sad for those of you that maybe did uh, get caught up in the the daylight savings uh, or the yeah debacle and show up a little late because the the songs they chose were just so rich. It was beautiful. Um, all right, Luke chapter two, verse eight, reading down to verse twenty, uh, and then then I'll pray here when we're when we're finished. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. 
Let's pray. God, I fear that we don't always recognize the undescribable privilege we've just been afforded (laughs) by getting to read from your holy, inspired word. That the God of the universe would condescend toward his creation and not just a beautiful creation, but a sinful Rebellious creation, us, you creatures. And yet you would speak about who you are. You would reveal yourself to us as glorious, all-powerful, almighty, and yet also gracious and merciful and good. It is um, my great prayer, Lord, today that, that we would respond to your revelation appropriately with the appropriate affection, the appropriate obedience, the appropriate delight and worship and praise. But we need your great help. Without you, Lord, we are deaf, we are blind, we are hard, we are dead. By your Spirit, we are being being made more and more alive. Would your Spirit come? Come as we get into your Word. Come as, as you, as you uh, were there in the beginning of, of our Bibles, as we read it, the beginning of time, when the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep and the Word of God came forward. Let there be light. God, we pray for that kind of activity of your spirit in this room this morning as we study, put ourselves beneath, build ourselves upon your word. I need your help. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Um, so, just going to keep going, obviously, in Luke. Um, and at this point, the, 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 real, the real focus um, for the morning is going to be verses 25, or I'm sorry, verses 15 through 20. Um, by means of, of introduction here, what I want to do is, is bring up something that this text kind of what it brought to my mind uh, is, is a dynamic. It's kind of basic to 
the, the human experience, uh, even our, our just human existence in general, and you perhaps even um, caught me alluding to it in my prayer there, but it's this, this basic dynamic of, of revelation and response. We, we don't, in some senses, need a text, you know, God to come and speak. We don't need a text in the scriptures to alert us to this dynamic of revelation and response because we're, we're kind of doing it all the time and we get it implicitly. Um, it's kind of like, like this when um, I, mean, I grew up in Arizona. So uh, for me, I start to become familiar with the Grand Canyon. But, um, you know, if you'd never seen it before, and, and suddenly you're standing on the edge and its majesty is revealed to you, you're going to respond in some way, right? Some people might kind of stumble. If you've got fear of heights, you might kind of stumble back and almost throw up. You know, if you want all your friends to know, you might pull a selfie right there, you know, leaning over there, whatever it is. But you're going to respond to what you're seeing, to what's being revealed. Same thing when, I mean, I remember my wedding day. I've had the privilege of officiating weddings and watching the the bridegroom standing there, you know, when the, the chapel doors are open and suddenly your bride is revealed, right? And there's going to be, there better be, a response at that point, right? The congregation is standing up, and this brother, or, or myself for that matter, you got the anxiety perhaps, the shaking knees, you got the joy, you got the, the fear, you got all these different responses, you know, crying, whatever it might be, but there's response to the revelation of your lady coming down that aisle, Right? Or when you turn on the news, you know, and, 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 and you see what used to be the Twin Towers, now with like this gaping, smoking wound through one of the sides of it, you're going to respond to that revelation, right? Anger, frustration, fear, calling a loved one, whatever it might be, we are constantly engaging this basic, fundamental dynamic of revelation and response, Right? We're always responding to the facts as they're unfolding around us. Whether for good or for bad, you see. The way we respond sometimes, oftentimes, tells something about us uh, in the process. Again, sometimes for good or for bad. We don't need a text to alert us to this basic dynamic. We get it. But I think we do need a text in the scriptures, ours this morning, to help us see how this dynamic plays out in our relationship with God. What does God's revelation look like? And what should my response, what should our response look like? These are the sorts of questions that um, the our, our text proper, if you will, verses 15 to 20, uh, try to answer for us, I think, in particular. Um, and what we see, what we see is we're going to look through this is, is almost like this ascending string of examples, okay, of what kind of revelation and response looks like. And it kind of builds, each one builds on itself. So as we make our way through the text, here's what we're going to see this morning. I'll just lay it out up front. You can probably see it on your handout there. But in response to the revelation of the angels, the shepherds go and see. That's verses 15 and 16. 
And then, because the shepherds go and see, there is this revelation around the manger. And the people respond with wonder. And they treasure up all the things that are going on. That's verses 17 through 19. And then, because they are all together wondering and treasuring up all that's taking place in this scene, the shepherds respond now to the fuller revelation of God's grace and faithfulness by by glorifying and praising the Lord. They get this even fuller indication of who He is. That's verse 20. So we're going to take these uh, one by one here, with the great majority being given to the first and the second. And we'll, we'll close with that third, okay? So first, what you have is, is go and see, verses 15 to, and, and 16. Uh, when the curtains are pulled back on the heavenly scene, and the angels, it says, kind of retreat uh, out of sight now. And there's no, no, there's no longer anything uh, audible either. They can no longer, these shepherds can no longer see, can no longer hear these angels. Here's the big question at this point. As that curtain's closing, what are they going to do with what's, ju- with what's just been revealed to them? How are they going to respond to the, to the heavenly vision? This is the real test of a man. It's one thing when, 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 when we're here all together and you see, you know, you see the glory of God and you're, you're feeling emotionally moved. That's one thing. But then when that heavenly vision has kind of receded, when the tide has kind of ebbed and now flow, and I don't know, I don't know which one is ebb and flow, but when it recedes, what happens then? How are these shepherds going to respond? What are they going to do to what's just, uh, with what's just been revealed to them? Well, they question it. Have you guys done this right? <laughs> Did we really just see that? I mean, we've been up all night. I, mean, I start to hallucinate. I've been watching sheep. Here we are. Bro, did you, did you see that? I'm not, sure that? I'm not sure we can trust what our eyes just saw, what our ears just heard. Well, they excuse themselves from it. Hey, we got sheep here. I know that seemed kind of important, but we have important matters too. And we've got sheep to tend to, and it would be unwise for us to move from such good pasture to go, you know, see this child. We have responsibilities. Make excuses. Or will they just reject it outright? Sure, the Lord is, is, is maybe, you know, great and glorious or something, but I like my life just the way it is. I'm not interested. <laughs> okay, woohoo, the angels are singing about a child over there. I don't care. I don't care. I want, I, I want to be in charge of my life. I don't need these interruptions. I got plans. Just reject it. Just reject it. Or, Will they be able to say with Paul, this is Acts 26, 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Just go and do whatever he says, whatever he reveals, I'm on it. I'm on it. If God's speaking to me, I'm moving on it now. That's what we see here, right? They are anxious to obey. Let's look back at at, at verses 15 and 16. They respond appropriately here. When the angels went away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. I love that. We've got to go. I don't care if my sheep are back there. They're bleating. We're going. (laughs) They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I was thinking about this. And, and, and I just wanted to read you just something straight from my outline here because I think it's important. When once a person has received revelation from God, he suddenly finds that he is in a place of great danger. You say danger? Such revelation is never a neutral thing. It always calls for an appropriate response. It always asks us, now that you've seen, now that you've heard, what are you going to do with it? In other words, revelation that comes to us from God always brings with it responsibility for man, for us. There's this dangerous aspect to Revelation because we're not just kind of neutral and hanging out and ah, it's like we are either hardening ourselves to it or we are submitting ourselves, softening ourselves to it. One or the other, but we're moving. We are responding. There's responsibility that comes with this Revelation. And this is a principle that's quite easily developed from Scripture, you guys. Though it is a little scary, it's important for us, and that's why I opened my prayers the way I did. I don't think we're aware sometimes the incredible privilege and even danger opening this book brings for us. We know a lot here in America. There's a lot of good churches. There's a lot of gospel. There's a lot of Scripture out here. And that brings me to whom has been given much, right? Much is required, in a sense, responding appropriately to what's been revealed. Let me develop this principle with you from the Scriptures for just a moment. You have that closing illustration that that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount. You guys probably, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, would remember it because it's a very vivid image. And you hear it a lot. Matthew seven twenty four through 27, he says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built this house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You hear in a mirror? He's saying, some of you guys are just following me because I'm a great orator and you think you're going to benefit just by hearing Just by being in my presence and hearing my words and it's entertaining. It's the same kind of thing that Paul was up against in Corinth. This isn't just a new idea, some Greek philosophical eloquence. There's power here, right? These words are meant not just to 
tickle your ears, but to transform your lives. And so Jesus, at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, kind of leans into his audience and says, okay, now that you've heard, what are you going to do about it? Because this is just the beginning of the process. Revelation, sure, it starts there. Important. Response seals the deal. Response is what we're after. That's the critical point. That's kind of the, that's kind of the fundamental difference between devils and saints. What you do with the revelation, how you respond to it. I'm going to read a scary verse here for a moment. Have you ever trembled? Especially back in my early years, I'm not kidding you. The book of Hebrews, I could, I could still recount every text that just kept me up late at night terrified that I was going to lose my salvation, that I was falling away. There are these warnings in there. I've just trembled before. And you want to know something? They all kind of come at this reality, this dynamic of revelation and response. Is there a response in your life appropriate to the revelation? Here's one of them from Hebrews 6 as we're developing this principle. Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. It is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. It's just taking what Jesus says in Matthew 7 and just giving it a different image. If that rain falls and crop comes up, blessing. It's like the guy who's built his house on the rock. It's going to stand firm. But if that rain falls and you're experiencing all this goodness of revelation and and, and God is showing Himself to you and there's no proper response to it, there's thorns and stuff coming up from your life that ought not be there. He says, it's like the guy who hears and doesn't do it. Just building on the sand. Right? This is this is a big deal. This is scary stuff. And 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 I'm aware that that perhaps there are some. I granted, I, I do not like the author of Hebrews would go on to say, I am convinced of much better things concerning you guys, things that accompany salvation, because I've seen your response to the revelation of God, coming coming to him, trusting and then and obeying. But, but I am aware that there may be some that are hardening their hearts, that are in that place where it's like, man, turn, turn, please, before you just kind of harden altogether to this. Like later on, or I'm sorry, actually earlier in Hebrews 4, 7, he says this, he's quoting from, I believe, a psalm. Today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts. If you're receiving revelation from Him about who He is, don't harden your heart. Soften to Him. Some of us might need to hear that this morning. But now, lest you, lest you think I'm going all legalistic on you and I'm, I'm tripping you out with, with works-based righteousness and salvation, I'm not. But I do want, I do want to show you something here. I want to return to our text uh, there in Luke and, and, and learn a bit more from these shepherds because there's something precious to learn from these guys here. And that's this. The, the, the first place of our response... The first place, the first order of response to the revelation that God shows us uh, is, is not often what we might think. This hearing and doing, as Jesus kind of puts it, isn't, isn't perhaps what we might initially think. It begins not with law-keeping, not with good deeds, not with striving in my own strength. Okay, God said it. We're going to make this happen. <laughs> this ground is going to bear fruit. <laughs> no. No, watch. In fact, what we see is that the initial response doesn't have all that much to do with us at all. The first place of these shepherds' obedience is not so much go and do. It's go and see. Go and see. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see, they say. See what? See the Son. See the Son of God. God incarnate. See see the Savior who is Christ the Lord. See the One who can deal with all the stuff that's wrong in my heart. The Savior. One who can save me. Go and see. As I thought more about this, I just thought, this, this is the first place of our response, you guys. This is the, the happy highway, if you will, of the children of God. To keep going and seeing the Son of God. To keep going and seeing. We start there, yes. And we also stay there every day of our lives. Going and seeing, going and seeing with haste. This child, this one who's come to save this one who alone has heard the word and done it and can help us hear and do it as well. As Jesus would say, John 6.29, this is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Did you hear that? You want to do the works of God? You want to work for Him? Believe in my works for you. You start there. The Christian starts there. The hearing and doing begins with going and seeing. It's the same thing that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3.11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is uh, laid and then he says, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever else you may build up with, you must be building upon the solid rock, 
of Christ's person and work. Whatever else you build up with, when we do, we do need to, to do, we need to obey the Lord. If we love Him, we will obey Him. But that all of that obedience is built upon the foundation of which there is only one. Jesus Christ, His works, His obedience, <laughs> the salvation that is ours in Him. None of this, again, is intended to mean that we don't actually go out and obey His commands. But it does mean that before we can ever do a thing, we must first go and see. We believe then and then build upon Him. Am I losing you? Are you with me? Are you with me on this? <coughs> we must go and see Him. Born in an animal trough. You gotta go and see him. You gotta go and see the God who has drawn near to his creation in such a humble and lowly way. You gotta go and see him. You gotta go and see him as he grows up, fulfilling all righteousness in his life. Not for himself, for you, me. You gotta go and see him again. You gotta shock your soul back into its senses as you watch him die on that cross. For you, my sin's on his back. God's wrath against my sin there. And then you gotta revel, you gotta go and see him, you gotta revel in his resurrection as three days later, as we sang about, that stone is removed. He's not there. It's as if the check cleared in heaven, and we know my sins paid in full. My righteous standing before God, secure as Christ is risen, never to die again. You gotta see him. You gotta go and see him. Go and see him. Don't ever stop hastening down that highway. Turn those stones underneath your feet to dust. You travel it so often. It's a narrow way, believe it or not, to go and see, to go and see before you start doing. The Pharisees, the Judaizers, they're already do, go and do, go and do, go and do, but the narrow way, go and see. Your foundation is so sturdy beneath your feet. As you go and see and go and see, you want to know what else you see? You start to see as He ascends and sends His Spirit back to indwell His people, you start to see His resurrection life lived out through you. You start to see Him living again through you. As He's transforming you, me, from one degree of glory to the next. Right? So we see what Paul talks about in Galatians 5-6. Faith working through love. We are holding, we are doing the work of God by believing in the Son. Faith going and seeing. That works its way out in my life in love. Responding even more and more to the revelation He's given. 
obeying Him, starting to look more and more like Jesus. All other responses of obedience flow from obedience at this critical point. Go and see. Point number two. Wonder and treasure. Verses 17 through 19. Here is another way that we respond to Revelation and it builds off of this first piece. Wonder and treasure. The shepherds hasten to go and see this child. And then we read this in verse 17 to 19. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So because they were obedient to the heavenly vision at the first... It's as if they kind of stepped into a world of wonder. A world to be treasured up. They just started seeing God at work everywhere, right? They started seeing the wonder of this incarnation. And things, evidences of His glory and grace to be treasured up in their hearts. Now, to deal with this for just a moment from maybe the negative perspective. Excuse me. It seems to me that that one of the reasons um, we often walk around without wonder, without seeing anything of God to treasure up, is because we've kind of misfired on that first point, oftentimes. We kind of misfire on the hastening down the happy highway to the sun starting there and staying there and keep going and seeing going and seeing we've not yet made a holy habit of it and so our hearts can go cold right they can go cold to the incarnation to the cross start to kind of lose its wonder. We come in to church maybe on Sundays and we we hear, we got to go and see, at least you should (laughs) hear that. I pray you do from me. You got to go and see. You got to go and see the Son. Go and see Him. And we go, yeah, but then we get back to our lives. We don't go and see. We're not traveling that, that highway. Maybe then we come back in again next Sunday. Okay, go and see. That's right. There he is. Okay. But oftentimes, because we kind of are neglecting that or we're not traveling that in our hearts throughout the day, we kind of live in a wonderless world. A world where we see more to grumble at than treasure up. Right? And If we, though... If we hear the sun, if we hear the call to go and see, if we travel down that happy highway, I believe we start to see a world of wonder opening up for us. Okay? If we are, say, I'm just thinking in various ways you could go and see. Some of us have, have young kids and busy jobs, and it's hard. I mean, go and see them for five minutes in the morning in the scriptures, if that's all you got. Or, 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 or instead of listening to talk radio or whatever it is, to, to put on a sermon on your commute, on your commute, your commute time. I want to see him. I want to. I want. I want revelation to come of who he is. Or throughout your day, just pause every now. Just pray. 
I go, I go through so many things, even preparing sermons, and I get to the end and go, I hadn't even been talking to God about it. Go and see Him. Go and see Him, because nothing good can come from us if we're not in Him, relying on Him. Right? Go and see Him. Fellowship, home groups, whatever it might be. Little DNA groups, little lunch meetings. But what happens when we start to just make little efforts to go and see, to travel, is that the world around us starts to open up with, with wonder. In particular, with the wonder, I think, of the incarnation. Now, now, bear with me on this. Because while the incarnation, I'm not trying to be a heretic here, God taking on flesh is certainly historically unique. And unprecedented, okay? I'm not saying any, anything like to the contrary. But the principle underlying the, old, the, the incarnation is as old as the world. The principle underlying the incarnation is as old as the world. In other words, God has always, always been drawing near to His creatures and giving Himself away in grace walking with Adam and Eve in the garden and pursuing fallen man throughout the whole Old Testament and up to today, constantly moving towards us. And when we are struck by by going and seeing the incarnate Son and what He has done for us, we start to see evidence of God everywhere. That's where I'm going. We start to see Him giving Himself away to us in grace everywhere, at every turn. Last week I sang that song by um, John Foreman. It has these words in it. I look out the window. The birds are composing. Not a note is out of tune or out of place. I walk to the meadow and I stare at the flowers. Better dressed than any girl on her wedding day. Why do I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need. He knows what I need. Your love is strong. He's just ripping that straight out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25-34 in particular. It's beautiful. If you've struggled with anxiety, you probably lived in that text. But what it's basically saying is, when you're walking with Jesus, when you're walking with God, you don't look at the world in the same way. Suddenly, birds are ministering to you. Suddenly, flowers are preaching to your heart about who God is. He's giving Himself away to us, you see. And we start to catch it. The world, we start to see like the title of the message. It's a wonderful life. No way. God is sovereign and He is good. And He is my Father. It's a phrase one of my professors used to use. This is my Father's world. And I love it. I love it. Think about that. And He's just everywhere communicating to us. (laughs) I'm for you. I love you. I'm giving myself away in grace to you and we start to catch it right we start to see it when we're walking with him the whole idea for this sermon actually came um, from uh, I went on a drive to the, the Santa Cruz mountains or up into the Santa Cruz mountains there specifically because I could not I could no longer stand to be in my my little office 
in my little world, kind of closing in around me. This, I just kind of get boxed in. I don't know if you guys ever feel this way. Like, I'm so important. And all these tasks are so important. And these projects, it's the end of it. i got to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I say, enough of this, man. you got to get out of here. you got to get out of here. I, just, I bought a, well, it's a new car to me, but it's a 2,500 quarter, and it has a sunroof. I'm going on a drive. <laughs> I've never had a sunroof before. I'm going on a drive, and I'm, I'm rolling that thing back. I just want to take in the fact that this, this story, this, this God, it's so much bigger. He's so much bigger than me. I just want to be his kid. I want to slow it down and rip out of this box and, and just see this world is a wonderful place because my God is giving himself away to me in it. And I'm going up the 17, but it wasn't slow enough for me, so I pull off the, the back roads, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be flying up the highway still, people honking at me. Let's go sideways. Let's go side roads. And it's like, I drive that, and you just see it, man. You just see it. Just slow down for a moment, and you just see it. Suddenly, I'm like, I'm noticing the sun, you know, breaking through the clouds and, and warming, and that sounds kind of silly, but warming my face. And you start to smell the smells of spring, you know, and you see the flowers that you just flew right by before. And, and I'm seeing deer in the field and how my father's feeding them and hawks up, up ahead. And you just, you're just taking it in. He's giving himself away to us. I'll tell you what, an asthma attack lands you in the hospital will remind you that even the air you breathe, what a gift. He's just giving himself away right now. And we oftentimes don't even Notice, just 70 miles an hour up to 17. I got places to go. Just be a kid. Just be his kid. This is his world, our father's world. We start going and seeing. You want to know what happens? We start wondering at the further things he reveals to us about himself as we just go about our day. There's more. There's more. Where am I? Oh. If we look at Mary, Luke highlights Mary for us. It's pretty cool. Because it doesn't just kind of stop at wondering. As the shepherds come and they share with whoever this all is that's there, we don't know. But they all start kind of wondering. The shepherds are sharing about this child. He's, 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 he's Savior. He's Christ. He's Lord. And they're wondering. But then Mary's highlighted. Right? In verse 19. And we read, we read this. But Mary... Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It's as if all this stuff that they're wondering at, Mary is taking it even deeper. She's, she's got a place, she's storing it. She, she's taking it into her heart. She's treasuring it up. It's not just kind of passing by her. She's taking it in deep. And, and there's something I didn't want to miss in this, a question for us to ask, and that is, do we, do you, have a treasury for the wonders of God? In other words, as He reveals Himself to you, as you see evidences of, of His grace and in, in, in the life around you and the way He orchestrates things and gives Himself away to you in grace, do you have a place where you're storing it up? Do you have a treasury? 
or does it just kind of pass right on by like water through a pipe? Where for the moment, it's exciting, it's invigorating. You're on that kind of honeymoon or high phase with the Lord, and it's great. And then, when a hard time comes, you just forget. It's like it never even happened. Mary has a treasury for these things that she's saying. She's pulling it in deep to her heart. I don't know what your treasury might be, what it might look like. I'd love to hear. It could be it could be you have a whiteboard and you write certain things on it for your family. It could be that you journal about these things and you go back to some of those journals when you feel you're kind of in the dark night of the soul. Or, or it could be that you, you, you purposefully try to communicate and, and, and this sort of stuff to your family or home groups so you can celebrate together. You don't just want it to pass you by. We want to treasure this up. We want to ponder the goodness that we see. Do you have a treasury? Do I have a treasury? Israel, this is awesome. Israel used a pile of stones <laughs> as a treasury. You know the story, right? Joshua 4, they're, they're passing into the promised land, but in order to get there, God has to has to part, if you will, in reminiscence of the uh, uh, Red Sea parting. He parts the Jordan River and they cross through on dry ground. And, and, and God says, hey, Joshua, tell the boys to grab a stone on their way through from the bottom, from the base uh, of that river. Because on the other side, I want you to stack it up. I want you to stack those stones up. And then he says this. This is Joshua talking to the people about this, this, these stones. Joshua 4, 21 to 24. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In other words, don't you forget... You need a treasury for this this amazing work of God that you just saw. Because when the enemies in this land of Canaan are surrounding you, you're going to be afraid. And I want you to look at that heap of stones. This is not just a heap of stones. That is evidence that my God can take care of me, my enemies, and I'll fear Him alone. See that? There's a treasury there. You want to know something? Mary, Mary is desperately going to need a treasury. You realize that? Mary is desperately going to need to draw from this treasury. She watches her boy, you got her boy. We cannot forget that. Her boy being brutally murdered. On that cross. She's standing there at the foot of it, we see in John's Gospel. She needs a treasury in those moments to draw from. Because everything with her eyes, everything in her heart is saying, this cannot be good. But as she recalls what she placed in her heart, she said, wait a minute, I remember how this thing began. 
I mean, there were angels. I mean, these shepherds came and they told me about this is this is the Savior, this is the Christ, this is the Lord. I may not get it now, but I have seen enough to say I could draw from that. God, you are going to prove yourself faithful in these moments. You're doing something here, even if I don't get it. She had a treasury. She kept the wonders of God close to her heart. You and I are going to need that. Going to need it. Now, finally, we're going to close here. Verse 20. Glorify and praise. The movement in the narrative at this point takes us from Mary now back to the shepherds. And we watch kind of as this whole dynamic of revelation and response reaches its climax. We read it in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They returned to the same place where they began, and yet it's as if everything had changed, right? Now, because these shepherds hastened to go and see, all right, what they when they were shown stuff by the angels and they they obeyed, they responded by going and seeing. They were then shown more, a, a fuller revelation around the manger, things to wonder at, things to treasure up. And because they they took that time and and wondered and and the people there treasured these things up, it then moves into this kind of, it ascends even further to the kind of climax of this whole process where now we find that just erupting from their hearts is this kind of, I want to glorify, I want to praise this God who has shown Himself so faithful. They have a fuller sense of who God is, how good He is. And they move into this joy Now the words chosen, glorify and praising that we read here, are are not just coincidental. They're not. They're the same words that are used to describe the angelic choir back up in, in verses 13 and 14, where they're praising God, glory to Him. The same words kind of wrap us back around and show that what is happening These shepherds are being kind of folded in now to the angelic choir, singing the praises of God. They're being folded in to this. And you have to wonder, what are the the shepherds doing? Adding their stammering tongues to the heavenly melody line. You know what I mean? They're just going to mess it up. What are these, these guys, these, I mean, angels sing, and it's got to be the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. Shepherds sing, and you probably wanted to, uh, ooh, ooh, turn that down. What are they doing joining the angelic choir? What are you and I doing joining the angelic choir, adding our stammering tongues to theirs? He asks that question and it brings forward the answer. See, it's, it's just pointing us in, in the direction of why this son, what this whole scene is about in the first place, why this son came. Heaven came to earth to bring us back to God. 
to bring us back, sinners though we be, stammering tongues though we have, brought back in to the choir that's singing praise, full of joy, that His grace, His goodness, His glory. And so though these two words, glorifying and praising, bring us back to the beginning of our little narrative and the angels, what they actually do ultimately is point us to the end. The aim that God has in sending His Son to this earth in the first place, and that is that we would join the angels in praising the Son as He's been revealed to us forever. I mean, that's Revelation 5. I won't, maybe I'll read it after. Yeah. That's Revelation 5. That is the picture of heaven. The Son being revealed. And everyone there, from angels to saints to all creatures, erupting in response to Him. Singing out. And so the question then for us is, What are we doing with the revelation? Are we ready to to add our tongues to the choir? To join in and sing? We're going to close in a song here, and I encourage you, just consider what we're doing. It is incredible. It's incredible. We don't belong in this choir, and yet He calls us in because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You. Thank You. I never, ever, God, don't let us. It's one of the simplest things and one of the hardest things. Don't ever let us leave that happy highway. Going and seeing, going and seeing, going and seeing. We believe that as we behold your glory, it's as we behold your glory, that's how we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. It's beholding your glory that causes us to become more like you. So God, please keep us there on the narrow way. Don't let us grow cold to it, either because we're off in some flagrant sin or we're off pursuing squeaky clean self-righteousness. God, keep us trusting in the Son. Let us add our tongues to that choir in praise of all you've done for us. Amen.